Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Well, good afternoon, everybody. I hope everybody's having a great day. Today has been a day of Murphy's Law for me. It's like with this show, we're live right now. So hopefully, since we're on, you will come. Um, I, for some reason, I had it on the 14th of June. I don't know why. I screwed screwed the days up. But that's okay. We're on live now. This is the scheduled day. So I'll let you guys know I was going on at noon last night. So you guys should know it. I, I have one person watching. So, so far, we're good. <laughs> But I apologize for that. And then I was trying to do some work with Corel today to get some extra graphics in for the show. And none of that was working. So it was just one of those Murphy's Law types today. So everyone, I have faith in you. You will find the show tonight. So I'm not worried about that. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour, I hope, the way it's going. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal issue or you think you might have a paranormal issue, and that includes UFO sighting, you know, things like that, uh, cryptid sightings, anything like that, we can get to you. It might take us a while. California is this huge state. So even though we have people in certain spots in the, within the state, you know, there's a lot of rural areas. So it might take us a while to get to you, but we will. And what, what I mean by a while is maybe one or two days. Then we'll get to you. In the meantime, I have mediums on staff. Who can phone you and talk to you about uh, your parent, you know, what, what you think is going on? And if it is, in fact, paranormal, they can, in most cases, settle everything down until we're able to get out there. Okay. So check us out. You know, you can find us on Facebook. That being said, uh, welcome. And uh, if you're watching from Facebook today, we hope, <laughs> please be sure to hit that like button, smiley button, happy face. Because the whole thing is, is the more of those you hit, the better it is for us in that there's an algorithm on Facebook. And when you do that, it puts us up higher in the algorithm. So other people from outside of Facebook can watch, you know, there are even more people on Facebook. So that's what that does. Also, if you haven't done so already and you're, you like the show and now let's say you're sitting at home and you're kind of cruising, drinking, having your lunch and you can think, wow, this is a pretty good little show. If there's someone else in the house, call them on over to check it out because we're, we're always looking for followers and stuff. You know, we're trying to build this thing up. So, you know, hey, mom, come on over, check this out, right? So please be free to do that. And if you haven't done so already, uh, follow us on Facebook, okay? Because we're like I said, we're always looking for followers. That goes for YouTube, too. If you're watching from YouTube today, uh, be sure to uh, subscribe if you haven't done so already. And the same thing with the, with the smiley faces and the thumbs up and all that. That puts us higher in YouTube's algorithm. And uh, you've been going really well. And I think you know, a lot of these likes and stuff that we're getting are doing that. So I'm real, real happy. Okay, that being said. If you want to find California Haunts, you can find us really easily. We're all over Facebook. It's all over Facebook. Just type in California Haunts or California Haunts Paranormal, and it'll it'll pop right up. And plus, you can find me on my on my my personal Facebook page, which is public, so you can check that out. You can find me over at over at Instagram under Ghosty Gal. That's all over Face. We're over at TikTok under California Haunts. Uh, we're at Twitter, I believe, under Cal Haunts. It could be California Haunts. There's so many of them, it's hard to keep track. And we're also over at Twitch as well. The other thing is, is I want to thank Lynn Monet for having me on her show last night. A nice 
two-hour chat with her. It was it was really fun, and I see my video is freezing up. See, anything that could go wrong today is going wrong. Okay, so what I'm going to do, uh, nothing is working today. Okay, I'm back. This is how the day is going to go. This is how the day started. This is how the day is going to go. I can tell you already because my video just froze up. Okay, I'm just going to have to go with the flow, and so will you. It's just going to be one of those one of those days. But anyways, I was saying I was on Lynn Monet's show last night for two hours chatting about the paranormal and about a lot of my adventures through the paranormal. And uh, once I get the link for that show, I will put it up for you guys to check out. It, it was a fun show. I've been I've known Lynn for a while, so uh, we had a good long chat, and we have a real good rapport. So we were just chat like going back and forth with it. Saturday, I do have a class I'm teaching. Um, that's at 3 p.m. Pacific, and that's going to be for protection for yourself, your animals, your house, and things like that. And the class is going to be kind of different because I'm going to talk about all the cool gemstones that they have that are out there. And what you might not realize is some of these gemstones will help, you know, supposedly. I'm not going to say will because I'm not a doctor, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not a healer. I'm just saying this is what I know from doing this for years. Some of these gemstones have healing properties, supposedly have healing properties. Like there's actually one they call the kidney stone because it helps with your kidneys. And there's one for your blood pressure and there's one for your heart. So I'm going to be going over all that for you guys. And in addition, I'm going to teach you guys, you know, when I go on investigations, I like to have protection. You know, I have a, I do have a less cross that I wear, but I also have a medicine bag and I built, I made my own medicine bag and you can too. And I'm going to be teaching you how to make your own medicine bags. I'm probably going to start making them and selling them online as well. Okay. If, if people request them, but, uh, I'm going to be doing teaching you how to make medicine bags, talismans, things you can hang in your house for you know, to to protect your house, and how how to make things for your animals to protect them. You know, because sometimes bad energies will come in and maybe go after your dog or cat, right? So I'm going to be teaching that kind of stuff. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, head over to the California Haunts Meetup, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup, and all the information's over there and the events listed over there in the event files. Okay. That being said, if you haven't visited our Patreon, you should. It's patreon.com forward slash California Haunts Radio. Uh, Patreon members get exclusive footage. And what they get is when I uh, shoot a, a pre-recorded video, you get to see it two weeks in advance before it hits the main show. So that's one of the, that's one of the pluses. And Lynn Monet is going to, uh, people like Lynn Monet and Nancy Matz are going to come back in to do one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, talks over there. So they'll come on for like an hour over there. And if there's a question that you had for them that maybe during the show that uh, you didn't get in, you know, that kind of thing, feel free to go to the Patreon and ask them. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to do one-on-ones over there. So I'm coming up with all kinds of different things for, for Patreon members. And if I get, you know, once I build up the numbers, I'm even going to have giveaways. We're going to have giveaways of California Haunts material, We're gonna, uh, you know, California Haunts stuff like T-shirts and stuff and, and ghost sling equipment. I'm going to give away ghost sling equipment. So that'll be for the subscribers over at Patreon. Okay, that being said, I'm really excited about my guest today, James Martin. Uh, a few, a couple of years ago, when I was first started doing this format, I had a gentleman on, and we were talking about America's Stonehenge. And I don't know if you guys are aware that America actually has a Stonehenge. Nobody knows how or when or how, how, how who built it, right? But it's there. And that tells you, you know, what that tells me as, a closet historian because I, I, I love history and I, I loved humanities and the whole thing, you know, in school. 
it tells me that somebody was here way before Columbus because America Stonehenge, yeah, just like it says, it looks like the Stonehenge over in England, you know, across the pond. And uh, it's it's very interesting. It's a very interesting topic. And to think that, and to think that maybe the Vikings or somebody were, were here way ahead of Columbus, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool thought. So my guest tonight, James Martin, is going to talk about that, and I'm real excited about it. So without further ado, I'm going to bring James in and uh, let him introduce himself to you guys, and then we'll take it from there and uh, just go with the flow. All right, give me a second here. Hi, Charlotte. How's it going? How you doing? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, you'll have to uh, excuse me. I've uh, just come out of... Uh... Uh, hospital and um, yeah, suffering from a bit of hay fever, but uh, I'm sure uh, all good to go. Uh, I'm loving, loving the cap, by the way. I think that's great. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Hopefully, nothing else goes wrong today. It's been one of those days. <laughs> it, 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 honestly, it definitely. You were just saying uh, in the intro though about Murphy's Law, and I thought, yeah, uh, damn straight, that's been the case this week. So uh, yes, uh, <laughs> there we are. It's not just so about. tell so tell me about you, sir. Um, well, well uh, worst person to introduction. So, uh, well, uh, I, I, I'm an historian. Um, I've uh, worked in um, uh, finance, um, employment law. Uh, I'm currently a lecturer in history, economics, and uh, politics. Um, I've um, uh, taught out of. Uh, Ruskin College at Oxford. Um, yeah, uh, um, I, one person who has the uh, uh, affliction that some people accuse me of being too academic, and I don't like that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, with a, a, a background really in uh, classics, um, and um, yeah, um, currently writing a further book in, uh, well, for the three uh, about the Knights Templar, um, which is sort of a bit of a departure, but not quite away from mm -hmm. uh, the book that's out at the minute, Uncharted, which is looking at uh, pre-Columbrian transatlantic uh, exploration, which if you've had a few orange juices of an evening is a little bit of a mouthful, really, but really the first discoverers of um, the Americas. Fascinating. And how does one get interested in, in this type of history? Uh, well, for me, it, it was actually doing my master's. Um, uh, my co-author, um, the person who really set the book in motion, Tim Wallace Murphy, who's no longer with us, um, I was uh, doing my master's and in something boring for most people, which is uh -huh. economics, history, and politics. Um I was looking at the Norse um, trading networks across um, the Atlantic, and it's not just rumours, but really, you know, what had actually happened. Um, you know, the United Nations has uh, agreed there's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, um, a mm -hmm. Viking. And just say this to everyone listening, Viking is a job title. Uh, it means something like explorer. Or trader oh. or something like this. Um, you know, try not to associate it just with uh, pillaging and plundering. Uh, most certainly they did get into to that, but uh, really we sort of mean explorer. And they had established a essentially ship repair facility in northern Newfoundland, Canada. 
And I was interested in what was going on with trade. Um, the the Norse and um, or Vikings, whatever word you want to use, were essentially um, island hopping. They arrived in Britain and then Iceland and then, or Eastland, uh, then mm -hmm. Groenland, Greenland, uh, and then ended up in the Americas. And um, I was actually interested in, uh, and the my topic uh, matter was to do with unicorns. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, unfortunately, if everyone just got excited about our beasts, um, our mythical beasts, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to let you down gently. Um, <laughs> um, uh, Charlotte, uh, do you know anyone who owns a horse? Yes. It's really expensive, right? Right. Real expensive. Really expensive. And if you cast your mind back um, to the 11th century, the 1000s and before, uh, mm -hmm. where there's a battle for survival for most people, having a horse is really expensive. Mm -hmm. Now, the myth of the unicorn have been, has been around since ancient Greece, uh, if not mm -hmm. beforehand. But what the Norse were doing is they said, well, um, we've discovered on our uh, island hopping adventures, I'm just paraphrasing this, by the way, everyone, um, but we've discovered that there is a flying horse. And not just that, but it has ivory. It has this huge tusk uh, emanating from its head. Uh -huh. um, and myths and rumours of this, uh, this beast travelled across uh, Europe. Now, at the time, ivory was being imported from Nigeria and Africa. Um, quite a dangerous voyage. But the Norse had, um, uh, the, the Vikings had said, well, we've actually managed to capture these flying beasts. And of course, because we can capture these flying beasts, if you think owning a horse is expensive, imagine capturing one of these. This uh -huh. requires extra skill and therefore extra uh, cost. And we can get the ivory and we can do all of this. And for me at this point, I'm, I'm looking at uh, the explosion of what we understand as the unicorn uh, as it explodes across Europe, firstly in Iceland, then Scotland. Uh, if uh, any of your listeners are in uh, the United Kingdom, you'll see on the um, on the Scottish, or the, you know, the uh, British pound, mm -hmm. one part of uh, the Scottish uh, national animal is the unicorn. And then in Norway and then Sweden and Denmark. And... Um, ended up um, being part of a group of uh, 23 people um, who were investigating um, a, an odd myth. Uh, the Swedish throne, the old Swedish throne of the Kingdom of Sweden, uh, was made out of uh, unicorn ivory. Wow. And anyway, it wasn't oh. me doing the drilling or anything like that. This is part oh. of a uh, expert team. Um, who did some analysis on it, and unfortunately, everyone wasn't the unicorn. What they found is it was actually narwhal. Um, so these are the big whales that you find in with a big uh, tusk uh, mm -hmm. from the head, the narwhal, uh, only found within the shorelines of uh, northern Canada, Baffin Bay, etc., Hudson's Bay, etc., um, and across New England. Um, uh, Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, um, which in a strange way just demonstrated that uh, what the Norse were doing were they were keen whalers 
and they were just pretending that oh, well, we found this horse and, and all of this. But what was interesting is just how far that had traveled. And that was really my subject matter, um, you know, looking at how they were trading, what they were doing and uh, in this sort of unknown land. And that got me speaking to a father-like figure uh, in Tim, uh, Tim Willis Murphy. And he'd explained that there was this project that he was working on, a, a sort of uh, sequel to a, uh, a book he wrote called Templars in America. And we're crossing notes. And um, he said, well, edit the book, dear boy, uh, if you want. And it became apparent. Uh, well, uh, I said, well, Tim, I perhaps need to add a few things for clarity. And he said, add what you like. I can always get rid of it afterwards. And um, that really was my involvement in the book and really my interest in 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 our topic matter tonight. Absolutely fascinating. You know, you this is a fascinating story to me. So go please go on. Well, um it, it sort of led from uh, from there, really. I mean, you, you, firstly, uh when we look at history um around the um uh, around the world uh, history is often taught with the national myth mm-hmm. um so in the united kingdom it's a case of oh britain has never been uh, great britain has never been invaded uh, since 1066 the normans but it's not true um they're invaded by the dutch in 1668 in fact um the king of England was someone called William of Orange, uh, a, a, a Dutch king. In the uh, in Canada, uh, you know, the myth of that country, not much a myth, but the, it was founded by um, the Brits. And in the United States, uh, you have this idea of uh, Columbia, you know, the, the dove or Columbus. Uh, you know, Columbus was first, and that suits, um, you know, certainly a lot of... Uh, uh, Hispanic and uh, Italian immigrants and all of the rest of it. And that's fine. The problem with these myths and these national myths is it never really is the truth. And unfortunately, when we're in school, and uh, it's, uh, I know it's the same in the, uh, the States as it is in a lot of Western countries, history, uh, I ask people, you know, do you like history? And, you know, I'd say about eight out of or nine out of ten, something like this, saying, oh, no, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And when you explore why, it's because they're taught names and dates and leaders and war as opposed to our history, you know, the history of just ordinary people, and which is much more interesting. And, uh, yeah, like I say, this is um, just one of the, the, the reasons that, um, you, you know, uh, that we wrote and charted it's it's not there to educate you it is there to provoke you and to provoke you into thought i'm not suggesting that we have all the answers in the book but it should prompt some questions for you um you know some things for you to to figure out and that's the that's the the whole point of it really uh i know it's uh, california horns uh it's to ask the question is this place haunted um, you know, it, it does this uh, exist? It, it's the question. Uh, the answers sometimes are obvious. Does gravity exist? Well, of course it does. And if you don't believe in gravity, don't tread near a cliff. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, there are some answers that are really obvious, but there are also times that we should question, healthily question, 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not about taking something away from someone in our answers, but to explore. And that's uh, that really is uh, what history is. When you talk about early early explorers, I mean, people need to understand that, you know, like for us, when we think of early explorers, we're thinking of Columbus coming over, you know, but there was a lot of stuff going on way before that, right? Well, I've just mentioned the um, uh, the Vikings, the right. Norse, um, a, a place called Lonsa Meadow, which uh, from French into English means something like Jellyfish Cove. Um, uh, there is a UNESCO a globally accepted site with archaeology um, that dates to 1000 AD. Hmm. Now, as I say, it's a ship repair facility in essence. So I should just explain the the Norse had names for North America. They referred to uh, one place as Helluland. Oddly enough, uh, it might be where we get the word hell. Right. Uh, from ultimately in the English language. But Helen means something like, in this instance, stony, nothing can live, mm-hmm. um, which we would perhaps accept as being sort of um, Elizabeth Island, Baffin Island, you know, these, these very rocky, barren wildernesses. Then there was a place called Markaland, the wooded place, which is probably Newfoundland, sort of uh, northern New England, southern Canada, that kind of idea. Mm-hmm. And then they spoke of another place called Vinland. Now, some people have suggested this Vin or, or Vin, as it is in French, meaning wine. It perhaps, it, it could perhaps mean something like the wine land, but it, it really isn't, doesn't sit well with mm-hmm. the, uh, the Norse. We're, we're perhaps talking about a place fertile enough to, um, to have um, uh, vineyards, etc., oh, okay. the fertile place, which almost certainly is um, New England, if not a little bit further south. And that's just the, the Vikings. There were many other uh, explorers before their time. I find it interesting because, you know, when, when you think about people like Christopher Columbus, you know, he obviously had a sextant or he had, you know, he had a compass. What were the ancient explorers using? Were, were they just doing it, you know, via the sun or the stars? How, how, how were Charlotte, they able to get around? Charlotte, I'm not sure uh, whereabouts in the world uh, you are. Um, but uh, my my advice for, for anyone listening is to, if you're in the United States, Try and find one of the very flat states. Uh, okay. I think um, oh, uh, you're going to shout at me if I say uh, places like uh, Idaho, maybe, you know, oh. some of the Great Plains and all this. And just find somewhere that's very flat, lie down, and look at the heavens. Mm-hmm. Two things you can do. Try and draw the heavens. The only shape you'll make is a circle. That could be important later. Mm-hmm. Um if not appreciate that what you're seeing is the TV set of the time. If you live in a city, you perhaps don't notice what's going on in the heavens. Mm -hmm. Um, There's lots of light pollution, for example. You perhaps don't even, people don't look up in cities uh, to Mm -hmm. look at the architecture, um, you know, let alone the uh, the skies. And, And so any changes in the heavens were noted and so our our um ancestors um used the heavens much more so than perhaps uh sextants and all of the rest of it i mean prior to columbus i mean 
um, they used to have in this navigator. Um, I had an interview, um, uh, well, with someone who became a, an acquaintance okay. uh, who uh, was from Polynesian descent. And uh, I said to him, uh, well, wow, you know, you the entire Pacific Ocean, the largest ocean, in fact, larger than all land masses combined, the Pacific Ocean, okay. it's huge. How on earth, you know, where were the maps? And he said, ah, no, we don't map. We know where the stars are mm -hmm. and we sing our way from island to island. You have to know the song. Mm -hmm. um, our society thinks that we're the pinnacle, uh, you know, and the previous generations were somehow inferior to us. It's really not the case. Um, yes, we have sanitation and we have electricity and we have some things they didn't have, but there are also other things like noting where the heavens are uh -huh. um, and how to navigate by stars that we wouldn't do today. Imagine the lights go out. Charlotte, you're probably like me. If I, if you have to travel somewhere, um, I get uh, my uh, uh, my phone uh -huh. and just type in, you know, and satellites do all the rest. Right, and, right, 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 you know, right. And all the rest of it. But that's only in the past 20 years. Prior to that, you'd you'd need to know the map or you'd need to know where you were about the stars. And that's how they, they got around. It's just, like I said, it, it's just, I, I've seen stuff on the history channel, you know, about this. And, and to think that with that technology, in fact, there's, there's, a, there's that group of Hawaiians that, that, that built that sailboat, the cat, that big catamaran thing. And they're, and they're circumnavigating right now. The Polynesians. Way. Yeah. Yeah. The Polynesians, like, like, like the ancients. It's just it's just incredible to believe that they were able to get as far as they did. Like like if you talk about the Vikings getting all the way to the United States, what would be the United States? It's amazing that they were able to maneuver through all that. Well, with the Polynesians, uh, for example, um, again one of the things that uh, you know it, 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 it is in the book, but perhaps people aren't necessarily aware. There were some uh, DNA uh, tests uh, undertaken of the inhabitants of Easter Island uh, uh, with the big Rapa Nui, you know, they're very famously, um, you know, the big stones, um, uh, you know, which look, well, somewhat haunting, actually. And then uh, people have dug beneath and seen that actually they're mm -hmm. not just the heads, the, you know, the full totems. They're like right. Gebekli Tepe, actually, in uh -huh. many ways. Um, Yes, um, you know, uh, DNA testing um, uh, took place uh, on Easter Island. And I, I just just for uh, reality's sake, uh, Easter Island is at its closest point is 2,290 miles west of uh, the country of Chile. Now, here was the interesting thing about this DNA uh, study, because uh, what, uh, what it said is that um, the people of Easter Island owe their uh, origins, or at least owe part of their origins, to people from Colombia about 800 years ago, somewhere in the region of 1200 AD, something like this. We can never be... 100% exact when we're looking at DNA, nor can we with uh, carbon dating. It's always a, a sort of range, really. But let's say 13th century, around 1200. What's interesting is that the DNA is evidence to Colombia, but not on the Pacific side of that country. Okay. The Caribbean side. Oh, interesting. So, um, and um, 
well, you've then got um, uh, other um, studies such as sweet potatoes seem to have arrived in Polynesia around about that time. So for me, if you've got DNA evidence and then botanical evidence, it's pretty obvious that, um, you know, around about the 1200s, the Polynesians are clearly um, trading with or at least know of um, the landmass of South America. And yes, that's slightly after uh, our uh, Viking friends, mm-hmm. but it certainly, well, in 1492, Columbus discovered nothing new. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and remember, we we don't take away uh, from the Americas, North, Central, and South America's continent, sure. the people who were already there. What mm-hmm. we're actually describing is a sort of rediscovery of the Americas. Right. Right, 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 right. So to be an early explorer like this, can you describe, you know, possibly what it was like for them to be out, you know, on the oceans doing this? Because I'm sure, uh, you know, the sailors themselves that were involved had a lot of trepidation, you know, being out there because you don't know what what you're going to find. Yeah. Uh, so the Irish, um, I mean, there's a few, well, I find them quite humorous but uh, a few accounts there there were hermits living in greenland and iceland uh, long before i mean fourth century uh long before the vikings uh, got anywhere near and when the vikings turn up uh, one of the uh, norse sagas describes how quickly they went uh, i think they saw which way the wind was blowing uh, we know that the um, irish were fishing off the coast of uh, newfoundland uh, in the seventh century, the six hundreds A.D., uh, in Carracks, uh, these are whale skin boats. Um, the the answer to uh, to this is, um, if your survival depends on fishing and food, etc., then you will make the uh, extreme call. If, you know the idea of it being cozy sailing is. Is nonsense. This is really, really, really difficult. Uh, navigating by the stars, not really knowing what to expect. Right. Um, it's only when people return that you get a bit more comfort that it's possible. Um, yeah, um, I dare say this uh, for uh, the Irish, uh, our Celtic ancestors, um, it would have been very difficult uh, traveling, not just uh, overseas, but uh, life-threatening. We, we know that they did this, though. Uh-huh. Uh, we can tell from fish bones where they got the Atlantic cod from. We even have some depictions, uh, or, uh, and this is their language, not the one that I would use, but their, uh, their descriptions of red-skinned people uh, arriving on the coast dead, um, now that might be people who are caught in the uh, the trade winds, uh, as they are, um, you know, perhaps Native Americans uh, who uh, ended up being blown off course. That kind of idea. Mm-hmm. It, it, this is very difficult. Um, they don't have the comfort of uh, or knowledge of um, uh, things like uh, when you're on a long voyage, having vitamin C. Uh-huh. Uh, to uh, prevent scurvy, uh, they don't have the knowledge of um, you know, where you're getting food stuff from. This is all sort of guesswork. Uh-huh. But if the Irish were going over, and as many later cultures did, go over to uh, fish there, um, just think of it like this: 
you take the fish out and you've then got a few weeks sail back the fish has gone off it's mm -hmm. rotten mm -hmm. so they they must have landed to salt the fish right because if you salt the fish you can preserve the uh life it is the same reason we have uh some hams and bacons and things like this mm -hmm. uh, you know it preserves the life so um it might be in the future we find some of those sites they they are elusive to us at the moment though and then it comes, what, it, what else comes to mind with this is these these vessels they were in weren't very big. No, and, not at all. You know, and when you think about like the ships we have now that are crossing the ocean, I mean, there's some big waves out there. There's some huge stuff, so they had they had to get through that too. Well, it's certainly that's true for the um, uh, the Irish, uh, and I'm not suggesting that they made landfall. I'm just suggesting that. Uh -huh. uh, um, if they were fishing that far out, they would need it to have salted the uh, the fish. Right. Actually, um, for uh, well, um, uh, our ancient Roman uh, friends, um, the size of vessels uh, and even uh, Egyptian um, before them, um, we know, for example, that uh, uh, Roman uh, galleys were exceptionally large. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I'm just reminded, for example, it was the Emperor Nero, I think he um, brought over a, um, a obelisk from Egypt and created by that point one of the largest um, vessels um, that um, we had uh, uh, seen to that point. And I think from memory, um, this vessel could um, handle around about 1,350 mm -hmm. uh, tons. Um, and another thing just to, to, to keep in mind is the distances traveled. Uh, the Roman Empire spanned, uh, it was about four months in length. Um, if you wanted to go east-west, north-south, it's about four months. They occupied Africa, uh, northern Africa, uh, right the way up to uh, Britain and even perhaps even further north, like uh, in Scotland. Um, the Strait of Gibraltar to the Gulf of Iskenderun, the Mediterranean Sea, is about 2,500 miles. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, the distances from Africa to South America is about 1,600 uh, miles. Mm. Um, so what we sort of need to do with the Roman idea is to say, um, yeah, um, after the collapse of uh, Rome in the west of Europe, uh, it's certainly true that the Carracks, um, uh, these well-skinned uh, boats uh, I've just referred to, yes, uh, ship sizes um, uh, decrease. But, um, you know, again, a, a wreck that was found off um, um, the, oh, it was uh, off the coast of, France or Gaul, as the Romans referred to it, was 130 feet long and had a capacity of 440 tons. This is um, around about 10,000 amphorae. These are sort of um, uh, 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 vessels uh, uh, look a little bit like a vase or a vase, um, if you will, that uh, would carry oil and wine and things like this. So it could carry about 10,000 of them. And again, 
Caligula uh, built a larger vessel, uh, 1350 to 1457. So the Romans um, and the Egyptians and Phoenicians before them had much larger vessels because they had a much larger territory, a little bit more knowledge, that kind of thing. Well, that's that's why I'm glad you said that because, like, when I think, like I said earlier, when I think about, say, the Vikings, you know, coming across, I think about the smaller vessels. And I'm glad you cleared, I'm glad you cleared that up, that the Romans have these big vessels to get across. Because, I mean, it would have been really, it would have been really difficult. You know, really, really difficult in a smaller vessel to be able to explore. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, now, the Vikings had, um, I would suggest, uh, suitable vessels. Mm-hmm. Um, they are island hopping. So, some of the you know, long boats that we we know about had flat keels to go uh, through rivers, um, but would likely be attached to uh, a larger longboat, which had a more deeper keel for uh-huh. ocean. I mean, uh, the Vikings tended to, when they were traveling and when they could, stay within two to five days with a okay. uh, coast. They, they they tended to see where birds were and you know. Uh, hugged the coast in their um, travels. The the Romans, however, if you imagine, you know, from today's Lebanon and Israel uh, and the Black Sea, even uh, mm-hmm. traversing the entirety of the Mediterranean, had again suitable vessels that were larger uh, enough to weather storms. Not that all of them did, by the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we know these from wrecks, but yeah. Well, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, like I was just thinking about the, the legend of King Arthur too, when France came over to, or or, or, or uh, England went to France to fight, and vice versa. They had big boats because they they were moving their troops around. Oh uh, well, you've got to be uh, careful when you talk about uh, Arthur and, uh, from uh, Cumbria, um, where we have our uh, Arthurian legend. Uh, right. He was king of the Britons, uh-huh. and the Britons were. Uh, the original inhabitants uh, sure. of the island, but uh, eventually, after Rome occupied Cumbria, Scotland, mm-hmm. Western Scotland, Ireland, Wales, Cornwall, and Brittany and Galicia in northern Spain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and oddly enough, I've, uh, uh, in my next book about the Templars, I've just given a little nod uh, to King Arthur. So <laughs> very present. Uh, I, I just wrote that chapter. Uh, uh, a few days ago, so very much in my uh, mind right now. Well, that's what I think of because you know it's all been Americanized, right? You know over here, and so that's the, that, that's that's the way we see it in the movies and whatnot. And that's that's what came to mind. But I'm really, you know, I'm really intrigued by this. You know, the, the ancient travelers that they, that, like I said, that they were able to get as far as they did because, like you say, some of them were were, were focusing on island hopping, essentially, you know, to continent hopping, so they they could stay close closer to shore. But for the ones that traveled like clear, I mean, like clear over to here, I mean that's huge. It's huge. Well, if you think about it, it's not really. Um, if you're island hopping, so if you're the uh, Vikings, it's mm-hmm. not really that difficult. Um, Britain, the Faroe Islands, then Iceland, mm-hmm. Greenland is just over a very difficult channel. Mm-hmm. Canada is then within again a difficult channel, uh, and then you. Hugging the coast, um, it's not really that that difficult in that way. Uh, if you think about the Polynesians, now that's uh, impressive, and we know they did it. So you know we've got the DNA to to demonstrate uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. 
Um, the Egyptians, there's a, a, a big mystery uh, with them. Mm-hmm. So um, there was a, a <clears throat> his name was Gunnar Thompson. He was around in uh, the 1940s, 50s and what have you. And he, um, well, it, it, he ends up exploring a, a number of uh, tombs, including that of Ramses the Great and notices that there are depictions of maize. You know, corn, in other words. Corn, and I keep corn. asking uh, this in various interviews because uh, I get in trouble. Uh, so that's, um, how do you um, like to cook your corn cobs? I boil mine, but some people are very, very uh, insistent. No, it should be grilled and, and all of this. But I boil mine. What about you? I do it both ways. So I, t- I'll boil, I will boil it sometimes and I will grill. I'll even microwave. <laughs> well, I've not heard that one, so uh, <laughs> never mind. Now, look, when, when you boil corn cobs, you notice that the corn cob drops straight to the bottom of the pan, right? Mm-hmm. So we can rule out this idea that uh, somehow corn cobs are floating along the surface of the ocean because they would just sink. And even if they could, the salt water would uh, ruin any crop that they could produce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we then have uh, uh, a slight problem, uh, which is why do we find over a thousand depictions unmistakably of corn cobs? Now, some people have spoke to um, have suggested that there are depictions of tanks and helicopters in hieroglyphic records. Now, uh, my response to them is, well, I won't and can't necessarily rule that out, but I would need more than one. Because it might be that we've perhaps not understood, mm-hmm. you know, these. Uh, uh, when you're talking of thousands of corn cobs where, you know, maize, in other words, which only grows in the, the Americas, then we sort of need to come up with another explanation. You know, how did that happen? And it, well, it just so happens that um, a few other uh, bits and pieces uh, were going on. So if we just go back to 1976, there was a a PhD, uh, Dr. Michelle Lascott from, she was at the Museum of Natural History in Paris. And she received a sample of, again, uh, Ramses uh, the Great, or Ramses II, if we're being correct, um, to study essentially the conditions that um, either led to his death or life even. You know, it was mm-hmm. just an explanation. And what she found when she was using a, a microscope, a scanning electron microscope, is that there were grains of tobacco or tobacco, as I would say, clinging to the fibres of the mummy. Now, we can, if that was just, again, isolated, what we could say is, well, yes, uh, Victorians didn't know about um, isolation, um, preservation, um, uh, didn't really consider um, the need to keep things uh, preserved in in a way that we would understand today. but um, that then led her uh, to understand the, this lack of isolation that um, perhaps it would be worthwhile to send other samples and perhaps get some other uh, mummies, as um, we would perhaps call them, 
um, to be tested. And of course, that's what she did. And uh, then we just sort of have to move uh, a little bit further on to um, the 1980s and 90s. Um, and some, um, I can't remember if it was the exact sample or there was uh, another sample, but uh, the key player in, in this is Dr. Um, uh, Svelta Balabanova. And uh, she's a forensic toxicologist, uh, and she's at ULM. And um, she had uh, obtained some samples from the uh, digestional tract of Ramses, uh, rather than you know the sort of external layers of fabric, yeah. as you understand. And what she found was uh, almost impossible, and certainly is at the time because she found in the digestional tracts, this is something that couldn't have been exposed mm -hmm. to our wayward Victorian friends. Um, but she found within the digestional tract uh, traces of tobacco, yes. Wow. But also cannabis. Huh? Cocaine. Wow. Coca, etc and were in the cellular matter, uh, as she described it, um, like uh, rings in a tree, is what she said. Oh. Well, naturally, this is just a one-off, uh, mm -hmm. and despite her reputation, she then sends... Um, well, she, she builds a sort of team, and internationally, including from the University of Manchester, not too far away from where I grew up, um, uh, Paris and in um, um, uh, Cologne, uh, Munich, etc. You know, this really, and even including in New York, uh, to ask them to take some chromatography tests, as, as they call it, uh, on a variety of uh, mummies. And here was um, over, uh, I think it was over 300 mummies were tested. And uh, two thirds of them came back positive for cocaine, wow. tobacco, coca, and op well, cannabis, opioids. Um, and so it really put a big question. This is um, known to historians as the mystery of the cocaine mummies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's still a mystery. Now, here's the thing. If you're finding evidence of maize in the thousands, uh, in burial tombs, uh, monuments, etc., you're then finding uh, cocaine, uh, opioids, etc., cocoa plant, in other words, which only uh, grew in the Americas. Uh, we've got two explanations for this. One, uh, well, we can't explain the maze, but archaeologists uh, and Egyptologists have got a really bad drug problem. Or the pharaohs and others in Egypt were having a really good time. <laughs> um, and with the bulk of evidence, uh, I think that, you know, uh, it, it, well, my thoughts lie with, um, well, we've got maize, we've got all of this, you know, th this isn't so much of a mystery. This is, they were clearly trading. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Very interesting. I, I, I never really looked at the cocaine mummies before. I'm going to do it now. That's for sure. I can say that. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. My other question, you know, were, were they asked concerned? I mean, if they were doing this stuff, 
could it be i mean like like we use opioids of course for pain management technically for pain management could it have been that they were using them for similar things that that that, that we are yeah well what we know is that there were um you know if, if you look at the oracle of delphi um you know delphi for example it just means dolphin by the way uh, we know that various of the uh, specifically the sibylline oracles Mm -hmm. um you know we're, we're, I, I love this phrase and i forget who it's from they pronounce their utterances um i just like that uh that phrase i must remember who it's from um yeah they were giving their thoughts uh in a mind altered state and what we now understand is they were in particular caves because of volcanic gases that uh, led to an altered state. We know um, the priests, uh, this is a temple culture in uh, in Egypt, uh, the pharaonic lines, uh, for example, um, we know that they used mind-altering substances. They described it. Um, um, so I, I'm not too surprised to find that, um, you know, there's evidence of that within the digestional tracts, for example. Uh, not too well, at all. Even the Native Americans here, I mean, you know, back, back in the day, we were using peyote to talk to the gods, you know. So, I mean, it, it, it is a widespread thing throughout the world. Yeah. I mean, from hemp, uh, I mean, um, ayahuasca, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's uh, plenty of evidence uh, for this. And, and actually, you know, it, it, let's not just focus on uh, that of the Americas. I mean, we can mm -hmm. we, we can actually extend this to the uh, Aboriginal cultures of Australasia, or mm -hmm. Australia as we would know, but you know, uh, including that of uh, New Zealand. Um, you know, yeah, they were occupied, um, uh, settled, I should say, around thirteen hundred. We know that there's particular ideas there. Um, in fact, you'd be hard pressed to find a culture that wasn't looking at mind altering substances to access the divine or whatever their belief systems were right. doesn't matter so why we'd think that's different for our ancient friends and ancestors um, i'm not too sure so like you say a lot of this stuff came from the americas so either they were trading with the with the indigenous species over here or this species god the indigenous people over here or they were actually you know making those trips so maybe the, the trips were going on on both sides as well well, yeah, um, I mean, th this really is the key. Um, you know, it's all fair and well for us to say, well, we might have evidence of of this, uh, mm -hmm. of the Chinese, of the Romans, and what, what have you. Well, that's fine. The key point is, did they make it back? Mm -hmm. um, so it, it sort of brings me on to um, Robert Mark. Um, uh, no relation to Carl, I understand, but um, uh, Robert Marx, um, and he is, uh, he was, I should say, a marine archaeologist who was later uh, disparaged as being a treasure hunter. And this appears in the, the book, by the way. Um, it, he had got uh, rumors from um, fishermen uh, who were operating outside the port of Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, in a place, I think, again, this was in the 70s. I think, again, it was 76, actually, or 78. Um, the, the fishermen, it, it started to call this place uh, the Bay of Jars because they kept on finding uh, 
clay jars and you know as a marine archaeologist he uh, went to Brazil he got a license to um, to to dig and did all of this what he found was not only a lot of uh, shipwrecks but he also uh, brought up two jars with twin handles uh, oh. that tape at uh, one end and that is the unmistakable shape of what are called amphorae right. and I've, ju- I've mentioned this before amphorae if you see them, you, ju- you automatically have uh, dug up thousands of them, it feels like, it, probably not thousands, but uh, in official uh, digs. Um, but they're, they're these jars, and they uh, it, it's the telltale sign of Roman activity, or at least Mediterranean activity. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and I understand that he got some of them carbon dated, and they came back sort of plus minus 100 uh but uh, 2,000 years. And, of course, as any responsible archaeologist would do, is you report any findings to the government. I suppose what he wasn't expecting then, this is 1982, Uh uh, having obtained permission, um, you know, and this, uh, I think the earliest date for one of the jazz is 19 BC. What he wasn't then expecting was the Brazilian government to cancel his digging license uh, and then expel him from the country. Oh. Now, when he returns, he sort of, you know, what was all this about? And returns to his dig, I think this is later 80s, if not early 90s, perhaps. Um, and finds that the entire dig site has been silted over. Wow. With sand and clays and, and all of this. Now, here was the key thing. He had began to find evidence of two Roman galleys shipwrecked. Mm-hmm. Um, now, unofficially, government sources had said, well, here's the issue. We couldn't possibly uh, have had um, an important um, discovery as it is but what we uh, couldn't um, have accepted, and Brazil's under a dictatorship at this time, was uh, that Brazil was in fact discovered by pagan Romans when Brazil is a Catholic nation. And I think it was Cabral uh, who, who discovers uh, Brazil in 1500. Oh. And again, you think about it, this interrupts that national myth. You know, this, this, these are the things that um, you must uh, be taught and all of that. Uh, I keep on saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a lecturer. What I could very well do, Charlotte, is say to my students, right, uh, we're not going to be uh, learning about all of this, so scrap okay. it all. I'm going to teach you something else. I could do that. I'd right. last about a week, and then I'd be wondering how to put food on the table next month because uh-huh. almost certainly I'd be out of a job. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. If your job depends upon you repeating the same narrative, your choice is like this. Do I continue to heat and feed myself? Do I continue to tell the story? Um, you know, and that's the reason I think that uh, a lot of these national myths just keep on getting regurgitated. And despite the... The absolute evidence. Governments uh, around the world, the United Nations, have at least accepted that the Vikings, the Norse, were the first. 
uh, I think we'll keep on pushing that back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, if you uh, if you want to read Uncharted, you know, Google yes. Uncharted James Martin or Uncharted Tim Willis Murphy. It's on Audible if you prefer to do what our ancestors used to, which is tell stories through oral traditions. Um, have a look on Audible if that's what you want to do. It's not there to give answers, just to provoke questions. Right. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, um, we should at least acknowledge the people who came before us. Right. Why on earth do people look up uh, the genealogy, the family trees? You know, um, it, it's not about um, remembering some sort of great historical figure. It's because it's important that we know where we've come from. Uh-huh. And if we ignore that, then you know, history doesn't repeat itself. It just right. gives us lessons so that we might make uh, not make the same mistakes. Uh, that's really the key to it. Um, and it's very difficult to do that if we've got a Columbus Day. Now, uh-huh. look, Columbus um, it was not the most pleasant of people, but I, not even I can say if it wasn't for Columbus, we wouldn't be talking. Right, just true. Um, You know, he um, well, he never stepped foot in North America. Uh, He only stepped foot in uh, uh, Caribbean islands, and then perhaps in uh, uh, even South America. But he didn't step foot in in North America at all. What he did do is pave the way for the colonization of the entirety of the continent Mm -hmm. uh, of the Americas. Um, and that history is well documented, you know. Um, so it's important that we we at least remember that we're in our society today isn't the most important nor the most advanced. There, there mm-hmm. were cultures that came before us. Um, we should remember them, and why why shouldn't we remember them in, in that way? Absolutely. This hour has gone by. I was just so fascinated talking to you. I love, I love talking about this stuff and I really appreciate you coming on. No, no, absolutely. Anytime at all. <laughs> um, uh, it's uh, well, it's getting into the evening where I yeah. am. Yeah. So what's next for you? Um, well, I'm currently writing um, a trilogy of books uh, around the origins of the Knights Templar. Because it's me, it started back in ancient Rome, and um, that should be out uh, early, if not middle, next year. Um, hopefully, again, an audible, uh, etc. It's up to the publishers. But really, the rise of the Knights Templar, who they were, really, where did, where did relics, you know, where do relics come from? Why did the uh, the church um, dismiss Mary Magdalene as a prostitute when actually the origins of the church were founded with women? Um, you know, what, what, what happened there? And really talking about that uh, and then up to the Crusades. Then what happened after they were disbanded? I'm not writing uh, the bit in between. If you oh. want to, If you want to find out more about the Templars and what they were up to, there's thousands of books on that. Uh, I'm not interested in me writing that with my slant on it. But what happened afterwards? And um, the third is, uh, why do we still talk about the Templars? What impact do they have today? And the uh, titles are Order of Magnitude, 
Uh-huh. Now, the rise, uh, the fall, out of order, and its impact today, last orders. So that's that's uh, what's next for me. Fantastic. How can people find you, sir? If you want to get in touch, um, you can get in touch by email, uh, which is uh, info at newrenies.org. Newrenies is spelled N-E-W-R-E-N-N-I-E-S. I will always try and get back in touch as soon as I get the email, but sometimes it's just not possible. That's info at newrenies.org, or you can go onto the website, which is newrenies.org. Uh, as simple as that. Um, like I say, I will always try and come back to you. Uh, just remember when you're emailing um, and all of this, um, differing views are absolutely fine. I would mm-hmm. hate for everyone to have the same opinion. Absolutely. And, you know, if you want to email with a difference of opinion, just remember, <clears throat> however, uh, I'm not going to respond to, uh, to anything uh, relating to hate. There you uh, go. We, we don't have enough time in in life to invest our time in hate. So if you want to get in touch, feel free. Different if you have a different view to me, it doesn't mean uh, I think you're evil or hate you or anything. That's absolutely great. In fact, the more of that, the better, because it's how we learn. Um, but just be respectful is what I would say. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I would love to have you on in the future to talk more about your new books, more about this topic. I just think it's so fascinating. And then I, I love the fact that you came on. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Charlotte. It's been, uh, thank you for having me. All right, sir. You have a great rest of your evening. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, good night. God bless everyone. Good night. All right. That was terrific. I love history. And I, I, I could talk to, to gentlemen like this all day, I, you know, just, just about different topics. Tomorrow we're shifting gears. We're going to be back at our usual time slot at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. We're going to be talking with Steve Silva about ET communication, and he's got some interesting things to say about that. So um, I want to thank you all for coming today. I really appreciate it. Uh, at least the, finally the stuff that was going wrong settled itself down. I'm glad. And now, uh, yeah, so this is going to be available all day for people and to see. Let me make sure. See, I'm, I'm on my other mouse, too. My, my, my mouse isn't working either so I'm, I'm having one of those days so anyway uh for people that are working and stuff and i know you don't have time to get to this you will be able to reach it on the rss feed and it, it'll still be on my facebook and, and over at youtube so i want to thank everybody and i appreciate it and i'm just going to sign off before something else goes wrong today have a great rest of your evening